Good morning. Come on in. Welcome to Yorkfield. Let's praise his name together this morning in a loud voice. Come on, let's stand up and sing our first song together. Today we continue our service on who is God, the everlasting God. Thank the rise as we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Strength arises, we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever, our hope, our strong deliverer, you are the everlasting God, the everlasting God, you do not wait to grow Strength will rise. Strength arises. We wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength arises, we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever, our hope, our strong deliverer, you are the Psalm 33 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart 
through all generations. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are the everlasting God. You stay faithful forever. You change not. Your mercy is eternal. We come now to to set aside for a while the distractions of our lives, our worries and anxieties. Help us to lay those down that we might honor you, that we might praise you, that we might give you the worship that you deserve. That every breath that we have, may we praise your holy name. Amen.
and welcome to worship. How blessed we are that you've made a choice to be here with us this day for this hour to praise our God, to open our hearts, and to learn what God needs to say to us this day. I invite you to fill out your friendship tab. You'll find those on the side of your bulletin. If you'll fill those out and tear them off and be ready to place them in the offering plate when it comes by. You may have noticed on your way into worship this morning that fair trade products, coffees, teas, nuts, dried fruits, and chocolate, chocolate, is available for your purchase in the Narthex today following worship. All the proceeds from these sales go to support the justice of providing a fair and living wage for small farmers. Join us tonight at 6 o'clock as the Senior High Youth Group offers a chili dinner at this dinner, they will tell us about their work trip experience from last, last summer, last August, and give us a preview into what's coming up this year for that group. So join us tonight at 6 o'clock for the Chili Supper. Ash Wednesday is on Wednesday, February 25th. This is the first day of the Lenten season, and we'll gather here at 7.30 that night for worship and the imposition of ashes. Join us and make this the start of your Lenten journey. And coming up are Dinners for Eight. These are great opportunities for you to get to know new folks in the congregation or to even host a group to come to your home for dinner. Um, if you would like to attend one of these dinners or consider hosting it, just note that on your friendship tab. That's the way that you can sign up to be a part of those dinners. Now, will the children please come up? I have a story for you. Come on up, Henry. Sit right here. Do you remember for weeks now, Pastor Mike has been offering us wonderful sermons and good lessons, all that have kind of the same theme. Does anyone remember what the theme has been in worship the last few weeks? What? Who is God? We've talked about a lot of different ways about how we know who is God. And this morning I want to read you this story called The Runaway Bunny. And I want you to think about how this might give us an insight as to who God is and how God stays ever close to us. 
Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I'm running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will follow after you, for you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish, and I will swim in the stream, and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish and move into the stream and swim away from me, I will become a fisher folk, and I will follow you in the stream and catch you. Well, if you become a fisher folk, said the little bunny, I will become a rock. I will become a rock that is high up on the mountain. If you become a rock that is high up on the mountain, then I will become a mountain climber, and I will climb to the greatest heights so that I can be next to you. Well, if you become a mountain climber, said the little bunny, I will become a crocus, and I will hide in the garden. Well, if you become a crocus that hides in the garden, said the mother bunny, I will become a gardener, and I will search until I find you and care for your every need. If you are a gardener and you come and find me, said the little bunny, then I will become a bird and I will fly away from you. If you become a bird and fly away from me, said the mother bunny, I will become the tree in which you will take your rest. If you become the tree in which I take my rest, then I will become a sailboat, said the little bunny, and I will sail far away from you. If you become a sailboat and sail far away from me, I will become like the wind that blows you on the path that I know is right for you. Well, if you become the wind that blows me, said the little bunny, I will join a circus and I will fly on the trapeze. Well, if you become the one who flies on the trapeze, I will become the tightrope walker, said the mother bunny, and I will walk across air just to be near you. If you become a tightrope walker, said the little bunny, and walk across air, then I will become a little boy, and I will run into the house. If you become a little boy, and you run into the house, said the mother bunny, I will wait for you there, and I will hold you in my arms and keep you safe. Shucks, said the little bunny. I might as well just stay where I am and be your little bunny. And so he did. Come to me, little bunny. Come rest with me and have a carrot. God is like this mother bunny. Wherever we go, wherever we run, how far we hide, no matter how long we sail across the oceans, God is always, always with us.
This story is an example of God's steadfast love for us that will never, ever leave us. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you that you are always with us. No matter where we go or how far we run, you will always be at our side. Thank you, God, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's children say, Amen.
Today's scripture reading is from the book of Psalm, chapter 89, verses 28 to 36, which can be found in the Old Testament in your pew Bibles on page 546. Forever I will keep my steadfast love for David, and my covenant with him will stand firm. I will establish his line forever and his throne as long as the heavens endure. If his children violate my law and do not walk according to my ordinances, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with scourges. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once and for all I have sworn by my holiness I will not lie to David. His line shall continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen. We have been asking that question, who is God? And the first week we, we were reminded that, that God is self-sufficient, that God needs nothing. And yet amazingly, though God does not need us, God loves us just as we are. We went on from there to look at some of those classical understandings of God, the God who is also omniscient, the one who knows everything about us, knows the in, insides of our hearts, every thought, uh, the God who is omnipresent, who's with us everywhere. There's no place we can go like, like the bunny that we can escape God's presence. And we talked last week about God's omnipotence, God's the all-powerful God. And then today, though we could go on, it seems to me, and, and ask this question, who is God, and do this sermon series for probably uh, an infinite amount of time, since I don't think we could exhaust God. For a time we're going to, to end today, as we talk about God, the God who doesn't change. You already heard some scripture about that. The next one that I'm going to read is from James, and there'll be some more that you'll hear today. James 1, 12 to 17, on page 229 uh, in the New Testament section of your Bibles. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is the word of the Lord. No variation or shadow due to change. Here in 
on earth we have that old saying that we repeat often, the only thing that you can count on in life is death and taxes, right? I uh, have, have really grown in the last few weeks to appreciate that second one for sure. My wife, through really no fault of her own, has just become a corporation. It's a long story about American human greed and stuff, but you can ask me about that later. Um, so I, I call her Paulette Inc. now. And, uh, but the sad and tragic thing about this is that uh, I've become the chief financial uh, officer of this corporation, a corporation of one that has one employee, her. So, but in the last few weeks, I have had to file six different tax documents. Those of you who know about these things, in the corporate world. I've had to file uh, federal 940s, Illinois 940s, federal 941s, Illinois 941s. I had, Paulette had to give herself a W-2, and then she had to file this thing called a W-3, which tells the government that indeed you withheld taxes, and as you said, et cetera, et cetera. And it, even more exciting, on March the 15th, I have to file corporation taxes, an 1120 and 1120S. I can't wait to see what they look like. Taxes. That is a certainty indeed. Today, we talk about this God who, beyond our concerns of what never seems to change here, taxes and our worries about death, we have a God who, who never changes. Because the other thing that we, we are concerned about, and it's almost... Um, as famous a saying as the first one is, is that, right, the only thing that is certain in life is change. And we're certainly going through a number of changes right now as a country. I think about all of the ones that, uh, that have happened just technologically in my own lifetime. I was talking with a member of our congregation on, on Sunday, and we were talking, and I was reminded when I first started in ministry, when we would type up the bulletin, um, you know, we had to do it on these stencil things. I don't know if you've ever remember stencils, but they were these multi-layer things, and if you made a mistake, oh, heaven forbid, because you had to, like, open this thing up and get out this really stinky stuff and, and wipe it on there, and then you, then you could retype over that, and then you'd stick them on this mimeograph thing, and you'd, like, crank it, and my goodness. Now, today, we've gotten to the place where we write the bulletin and we send it... Uh, through the internet over to the, from a, the computer to the, the printer, and it just magically prints out in color, well, with a little help from Debbie and, and uh, others. Um, a lot of help from Debbie, that's right, that's right. Um, all of those changes. Um, but the things that we probably are most concerned about is, is the changes that go on our world, in our world that, um, that cause us worry. Certainly the worries we have now economically as we look into the future, and Worries that we have for our children, our grandchildren's future, um, wars and all of that that, that continue to happen, uh, lack of safety in the world. In the midst of all that, though, God says, I never change. This world may turn itself upside down, but I never change. We, we learned today in the New Testament a lesson that actually have sort of a three for We learned three things about God. God does not lie. God does not tempt us to do evil, nor is God tempted. And we can couple that with other things that we've learned as we read the Bible, that God has known 
for God's loving kindness to us, that God is just, that God is merciful. Um, in 1 Samuel, like it says in many places, it says the glory of God, the glory of Israel, that is God will not recant or change his mind, for he is not a mortal that should change his mind. Now, those of you good Bible scholars, as you think about, wait a second, I hear that, but it seems to me I remember stories in the Bible where God is, does change his mind. What about that story of Jonah, for instance? You remember that? Great story that we learned as we were kids. And then, you know, Jonah is sent by God. He's called by God. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh and uh, tell these people that they need to repent. They have been living wicked lives, and they're extraordinarily sinful. And Jonah doesn't want to go because he hates the Ninevites. And he goes in the other direction, and he gets on this boat, and then he gets thrown into the water, and he gets swallowed by this giant fish. And, but like the bunny, he can't escape from God, and the fish barfs him up on the shores of Nineveh. And so then, like the little bunny, Jonah says, okay, I'm going to go ahead, I'll go to Nineveh, and I'll... Tell them what God says, that they need to repent. And wouldn't you know it, what happens? Against everything that Jonah had hoped for, in his dismay, it says that, that they repented. That they said, you're right, God. We have done evil. Forgive us. And it says then that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he'd said he would bring upon them and he did not do it how do we hold those two things together on the one hand for god is not immortal that he should ever change his mind and the other is he changed his mind about the calamity how do we hold those together well one of the things i would suggest when when reading the bible is that you know, always one of our sort of hermeneutical principles. Oh, I hate to whip out that word, but some of the principles that we use for when you read the Bible, instead of isolating passages, we want to read the whole thing in its, in its entirety, kind of the whole context. And what is the whole context of the Bible tells us? That God is a God of mercy, right? And God doesn't desire that anybody should perish. It's very clear about that. So our sort of larger understanding about God when it comes to the Ninevites is this is precisely what he wanted all along, that they should repent. God, God is not eager to punish the Ninevites, to bring calamity upon them. So what happens is what he wanted all along, that they repented. And so then he is able, uh, in his mercy, to not have to bring destruction upon them. That eternal aspect of God that delights in repentance in the heartfelt turning away from evil, that part of God remains consistent completely through the whole Jonah story. What God always desired took place, and the Ninevites repent. There's another place um, that's similar to this. When you, there's a, a number of places in the Bible where, where God seems to be able to be negotiated with or uh, to re change his mind. There's a wonderful one um, early in the Old Testament where Abraham is uh, on his journey and um, the angels of God show up. You remember this story? And they, 
They tell Abraham, you know, we're on our way to Sodom and Gomorrah, and we're destroying those towns. And Abraham um, says, wow. I'm, you know, Abraham's concerned about this, and he enters into this kind of, this ongoing sort of dialogue with the angels of God, and it's kind of like a, a Semitic uh, haggling over prices or something. It says that, that Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? For, for far be it from you to do such a thing. This is Abraham telling, telling God. To slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham decides to kind of push his luck here a little bit. So he goes, uh, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. But then Moses, I mean, then Abraham says, suppose 40 are found there. And as you remember the story, he just keeps kind of pushing a little bit further and further. He goes, well, what about 30? What about 20? What about 10? Finally, he asks. And at each point, it's the same answer from God. No, if I find 10 righteous people, I'm not going to destroy the whole city on their account. Now, it seems to me when you, you, you read this story, there's a temptation to kind of read it as if God and, and Abraham are in some kind of real negotiation going on here. That Abraham is really actually able to influence God. That God was going like, oh man, I wonder what it means to really be just and merciful. Um, I don't think that's what's really going on here. But it's more the sense of that, that God is allowing Abraham and really us as we follow along in the story to have a peek inside the heart of God. As he pushes a little bit further and further. You've got to remember, this is a, a time that human life was pretty expendable, though I'm beginning to wonder if there ever was a time when it wasn't. Um, and in the midst of that, he, he keeps pressing. Is there, you know, what about collateral damage? How much collateral damage can there be to your justice, God? And God says, there is none. My justice is absolute. which is a powerful thing to hear and to hang on to. Because, you know, we keep forgetting that. I notice my own colleagues and I forget that. Because if we, if we fast forward a few thousand years, you remember when the specter of AIDS first broke on the scene in America? And uh, my colleagues, uh, TV evangelists and others out there, were talking about how this was God's judgment on the immoral ways of the gay community, this whole scourge of AIDS. Now, the fact that thousands of hemophiliacs and others who had blood transfusions of tainted blood were also dying somehow didn't factor into the equation of those, of those preachers. It was God's judgment on the gay community. Well, did God change? Was suddenly now collateral damage, a few innocent 
people who'd gotten blood transfusion acceptable to God in God's punishment of the gay community? Had God changed somehow? Never. Never. The death of innocent people never became okay to God. Unfortunately, there's another thing that that never seems to quite change for us human beings, and that is our ability to invoke the name of God on behalf of our own agendas, whether we're preachers or or not. You saw the same thing that happened just a few years ago with uh, terrorists and the whole 9-11 attack. That same thing happened when we began to hear people say, this is a judgment of God against America because of its evil ways. Because the 3,000 people in those buildings were more evil than the rest of us somehow. The little children in those daycare centers in the Twin Towers. I don't think so. You know, it's very clear here. God is a just God. God never changes. God is merciful always. That wasn't God's judgment upon America or God's judgment upon the gay community. Another one of the great things that we learn about this God who never changes, that part of of his nature that never changes is that God keeps his promises. There's a verse in Malachi that kind of holds this, this promise thing and the, and the never-changing thing together. It says in Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. He's, he's reminding Malachi and the people here at, at this period of time that even though they're in the midst of, of facing some persecution, that that promise that I made to your ancient ancestor Jacob, that I made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that still stands. The reason you still exist as a nation of Israel is that I keep my promises. There will always be a remnant. We hear the same promise today in the the Old Testament lesson as God reiterates that same covenant to, to David. He says, For I will keep my steadfast love for him, and my covenant will be stand firm with him, and I will establish his line forever. And here's a wonderful part for us. If his children forsake my law and, and do not walk according to my ordinances, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, I'll punish their transgressions, but I will not remove from David my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Notice that, that God says that that even though the nation of Israel may at some later date not keep its side of the bargain, when he said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people, even though they become disobedient, even though we run away like the bunny, even though we thumb our, na- our noses at God, which, you know, if you read the Old Testament, it's just one series after another of generation of generation running away from God. God continues to keep his promise. The nation of Israel still existed in in Malachi's day. And Israel, the Jews, still exist with us today. 
It's one of those signs that God keeps his promise. The love and the mercy and the justice of God are eternal. They're more permanent than what seems to us to be the most permanent of things here on earth. Psalm 102, we we hear the psalmist speak to God. Long ago, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And then he says, they will perish. All these stars and everything up there, the mountains around us, but you endure. They will all wear out like a garment. You change them like clothing and they pass away, but you're the same, and your years have no end. Jesus' own words echo that when he says in Matthew, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The promises of God and the love of God that we see in the mercy and the compassion of Christ, they never change. Never. They're not contingent about what we do or how we behave. God is always the loving Father who's waiting for us, that that father who's looking down the road for his prodigal children to return, that mother bunny waiting. When are we coming back? And when we do, there's great rejoicing. The love of God that we see in Jesus Christ is never frustrated by current events or by even our own disobedience. That does not change who God is. As Hebrews 13.8 declares, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I think that's something that it's worth saying together. You want to join me in that? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Might not be a bad verse to take with you as you go to work this week, as you read the newspapers, as you watch the TV news, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. You know, there are so many great praise songs that we love to sing, and we love to sing with you, and it's great that we all sing together. Every once in a while, though, we'd really like to do a song that just features the singers and the players and the band, Messenger. And so we, I used to, in a different setting, I used to call this music for meditation. And that was where we could provide some music and some praise for you. And it gives you a, a, a time to meditate and focus on the words that we're singing and the message that we're bringing. And the message of this song is the great power of God's love for me, for you, and for all of us.
Because of the power of God's love, this God who never changes, we can come to God with joys and concerns. God hears us, and so we do that now together. First of all, we have a joy that Jean Bornman has now come home from the hospital as of last Friday, where she has been recovering from colon cancer surgery. So we praise God for that development. A few concerns. We ask for your prayers for Bob Roon's son, Michael who has been admitted to the hospital in Pelos Heights for headaches, vision loss, and some nausea. Also, we ask for your prayers for C.J. Pleiter, who's been suffering migraine headaches lately, that the doctors and those caring for him may quickly find something to relieve his pain. And a few other concerns we heard in the earlier service. Um, as some of you know, Tom Nelson's mother passed away recently, and. Um, Roy Johnson asked for prayers for him as he recovers and decides what to do in coming months. And also, 
Ken Hertig shared with us that his nephew Matthew, who had a double lung transplant, I think it was, la was it last year, Ken, um, has, has recently had some kidney struggles and we ask for your prayers for him as well. We have a couple of minutes. Are there other joys or concerns you would share with us this morning that we can lift up to God in prayer? Let's go to God in prayer together. O oh God who never changes, God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we remember you this morning and praise you for being both our help in ages past and our hope now for years to come. For being the one who doesn't change like shifting shadows or with whom there's any sort of variation. You are the same God whose backside appeared to Moses. The same God who ticked off Jonah for being so gracious and so compassionate to the Ninevites, people whom he thought were undeserving. For being the same God who appeared to us in Jesus Christ, who spoke and ate and drank, who rested and played, who eventually died and rose again on our behalf. You are the same God who dwells with us today, and we worship you for being the one who does not change. You know as well as we do, you can't count on us, but we can count on you. We can be fickle and ornery, but you are constant, as we just heard preached, unbending in your mercy and your justice. We thank you this week for the glimpses of spring we experienced here in Chicago, for opportunities for work and for play, for the gifts of family and friends we've seen or heard about. We remember our Elmhurst community and Chicago. We think of all the people of many ages, of many vocations, we think of the many churches in this area and those who are unchurched. Call us, God, to be the sort of church you want us to be at this address, at this time. Call us to be open to who you are and to who you call us to be. You know all the joys and concerns in the room, God, but we lift up those we know about we think of those who are sick and undergoing treatment. We think of Tom Nelson, whose mother has passed away. Be his steady hand as he recovers from that loss. We think of Ken Herdig's nephew, Matthew. Of others we heard just moments ago, Aunt Margaret, who's in her last stages of life, or Kathy, who's now heard another brutal diagnosis for Peter Rieger, who's now in a nursing home. You know the circumstances, God. You know those who can care for them. Please be with them in every way. We remember, too, our homebound parishioners and those with ongoing health concerns. 
as we go out this week, God, be with us. Help us to be your faithful people who know that it's only because you are unchanging that we are yours, that we can be your people in this world. And it's with such boldness and humility that we pray the prayer that Christ taught us together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. stand and sing our last song together.
Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. You go from this place. He is with you now and always. Go in peace. Amen.